Good morning, church. My name is Ashley Krupnik, and I'm one of the women's leaders here for women's ministry at PBC. This morning, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened us to the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon." Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to be gathered in your presence here this morning. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to the things that you would have for us today. And I just pray that you would keep us all safe this week as we go about our ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hello, hello. That was great. Thank you. All right, we're going to dig in here to, to Luke 24. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and crack those open and we'll get rolling. So uh, I, uh, how many of you do Craigslist and that whole thing? You guys sell, anybody sell stuff on Craigslist? Yeah, okay. So um, we look like drug dealers at our house because we just use Craigslist like crazy. People are always coming by and exchanging cash and things like that. So it's you know, we are, people are like, they seem like a really nice family, but, you know, it, it might not be the case. So, anyway, um, my wife always is uh, explaining to me when I go purchase things off Craigslist, like, like look, you got to be really smart in how you do this, or, or when I'm selling something and I have to meet somebody in a parking lot, you know, somewhere like, yeah, meet me in the sketchy alley, you know, behind the Walmart, you know, it'll be totally cool. So she has some rules of thumb, and, you know, one of them is just be real careful, make sure you're out and open, blah, blah, blah. And, but her other big one was, uh, you know, always take cash, you know. And uh, so I had these golf clubs. They were awesome golf clubs because I love to golf. Any golfers? Anybody like to golf? Good. Yeah. Amen. Uh, we'll be golfing in heaven. I know. Just like teeing it up with Peter. <laughs> like, I know. Yeah, heaven on earth. So... Um, so I had a really nice set of golf clubs that somebody had given to me, but uh, th they weren't working out, so I thought I'd sell them. And there was a guy online that gave me exactly, or he called me, and he said, you know, meet me at Starbucks, and I'll give you exactly what you're, what you, what you're asking. That's a great price. And I thought, great. You know, it was like 500 bucks. So I was like, this is sweet. I'm going to make 500 bucks. So before I go, my wife, because she loves me, goes through the list of, you know, hey, make sure it's this, and don't make sure you take cash. Make sure you take cash. And I'm an optimist, and she's a realist. You know what I'm talking about? If you're, you're married, you probably have one or the other in the marriage, you know, one that's like always like, yeah, humanity is cool, but they're probably out to get you, 
And, and then the optimist goes, no way, man. Like, everyone's here to party and just have fun. We're here to hang out. So I happen to be an optimist, and I assume that everyone in this world is in it to, to just have fun and have a great time. My wife is the opposite. So she said, just be really careful, you know, and make sure, just please make sure you take cash. Don't take a check. So show up, and this guy and I start hitting it off, and he's telling me about Chicago, and I, we came from Chicago, and he, came, he lived in a neighborhood that was, like, right next to our like area and oh my goodness and he's telling me about his business thing and and uh, he handed me a business card and we started talking it was great and he goes ah man I I don't have any cash on me I'll give you a check and I was like sure man no problem at all right because we're bros we grew up basically in the same hood you know let's hang out and have some fun so um, so he writes me a check, and we shake hands. I give him the golf clubs. I'm like, so awesome. So I start getting that feeling in my stomach about three seconds after he leaves. Like, this probably went bad. So I went straight to the bank to cash the check. You know, and meanwhile, my wife's calling me like, how did it go? Did you get it? And I'm like, I, I, I sold them. I sold them all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I drive to the bank, and they're like, sorry, this account has no money in it. And, and I didn't take the time to look at the top of the check. There was no, like, name at the top of the check. But here's the crazy thing. I had his business card. So I called him and I was like, hey man, like I need cash. He's like, oh man, I'm so sorry. I meant to put that in there. I'll, I'll go do that right now. I'll meet you back at Starbucks. So I drive back to Starbucks to meet this guy. And of course he never shows up, right? So I go home with my head hung low and I look at my wife and I'm like, I got, I got totally ripped off. And she's like, why didn't you listen to me? I told you this would happen. Which is, as a husband, like the worst thing in the world, right? And the worst thing in the world is to have your wife be absolutely right about something and you're like, oh, I just wanted to prove her wrong. Anyway, so I decide to go into full like, you know what? I'm not dealing with this. And so I ended up I ended up tracking the guy's record down. Like he has like a record and I found it online and I got all like FBI on him and I found he wouldn't return my call, but I found his mom. And so I called his mother. I'm not even joking. I called his mom. It was like, hello, ma'am. My name is Jeff and your son just ripped me off. She's like, I don't know that name. I'm like, yes, you do. Because I see your address and it says it was from this neighborhood in Chicago and your son and I talked about it. And I have his whole record. And then I was like, and I know the FBI and they're going to come knock down his door and I'm going to get my 500 bucks back or my golf clubs back. So anyway, I finally tell the mom, like, you had literally have to. And I had known a guy like that was kind of like Jack Bauer. And so I called him up and he's like, bro, can you throw me a solid? Okay, <laughs> like, can you throw the crew in on this one and maybe get this guy? And, of course, he's like, no. But I used that as leverage, okay? I used it as leverage because it could have happened. So I told, this, I told his mom, like, he better return those golf clubs in one hour or I'm going to come and put him back in jail. And, you know, and I was like on it. So anyway, the guy calls me back like five minutes after I called his mom, and, and he's like, hey, man. I was like, bro, you stole my clubs. <laughs> he's like, I know. And so I got all tough on him, right? I was like tough love on him. And I was like, look, you have one hour to drop those golf clubs off at the church that I had worked at because I was like 30 minutes away. And so I was like, you have to drop them off at the front door of the church. And uh, my wife's like, that's the stupidest plan. A thief walking up to a church with golf clubs and like putting them down. Like, I stole these, but don't worry, I'm returning them. It's all good now. So anyway, the guy comes back. So I, get, I find out that he dropped the clubs off. I call him back. And I was like, then I got into like the Jesus mode. And I was like, bro, I love you. <laughs> I'm sorry I had to get hard there for a second. Okay, but Jesus loves you, and you don't have to do this anymore, right? He's like, yeah, but you just screamed at me for the last hour and a half. Had I just listened to my wife, had I just listened to what was obviously before me, which was a situation that was pretty sketchy, I probably could have avoided all of that. But for the majority of us, I think we tend to go through life, and God has given us this great plan of how we live our lives, but we're kind of constantly always coming up with this other plan. Even though he's provided for us the way, the truth, and he is the life, and he's trying to show us this way in which we would go, but we're always fighting against it. We're always missing the fullness of what he has for us. You see, all that God has uh, revealed to us is right before us. But we won't be proactive in his narrative because we're so busy trying to create our own. 
And this is what this story unpacks for us. This story unpacks for us a life, two lives, that have been invested in the person of Jesus Christ. And when it didn't work out the way they wanted it to work out, well, they walk away. Isn't that the story for so many of us? Is it just Jesus and his plan and who he is? Just sometimes is pretty disappointing. Because in our Western minds, we have a way in which we view the world and how we think things should go and how we think things should look. This is the land of the free and the home of the brave where white picket fences and little puppies are running around everywhere. And so when that gets threatened and when that doesn't work out the way we want, we start to doubt the very thing that God has set in motion for our behalf. And in many ways to show us the fullness of who he is. The fullness of the gospel. But we're resisting that plan always. Because it's how we're prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. And so as we walk through this narrative, what I hope to do, sometimes as you teach through scripture, it becomes kind of stagnant. And I want, the, I want you to be these men in the story. I want you to be the one on the road. I want you to identify with them. I want you to feel with them because the reality is just you can. And in many ways, many of you are there right now. And start to see and learn what Jesus does with these men as they're walking in discouragement on the road to Emmaus. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy that it's new every morning. We thank you that you love us. We thank you, Jesus, for your death and your resurrection and Holy Spirit for continuing the ministry in our hearts and in our lives as you guide us that we would submit to your calling, to your plan. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. Today is for you and the rest of our lives. Everybody said amen. So let's get there. Luke 24, verse 15. So before we go completely into this, I'd love to kind of unpack how we got to this place. Because sometimes you just kind of enter into a narrative, you know, into a story without understanding the whole story. Does that make sense? Okay, so we're going to go back to Genesis. This is going to be the longest sermon ever, okay? (laughs) Genesis 1, in the void of everything, God creates things. And God creates things what? Good, right? He can't help but create things good because he's a good God. So when he makes a tree, he makes a a good tree, right? That's a good tree. And so when he creates woman, he creates a good-looking woman, right? And he looked and he said, it is good. And all the men in the room say, God, yeah, it's, it's good. We, we like. Thank you. You love us. You created woman, and we are happy. Thank you. Okay? So in Genesis 3, this all goes sideways because God makes good. They walk and they talk in the garden. They have jobs and things to do, but ultimately they're having this really beautiful, pure relationship with the God of creation. And they're walking and talking, but it's not enough. It's not enough. They want more. So mankind chooses sin. And I don't think any of us give sin enough credit for how much it's damaged. Not just this relationship between God, but all of creation groans as a result of sin. Like we have stoplights because of sin, right? We have, we have weight watchers because of sin, okay? But sin has affected everything. That's how bad it is. And so man sins and then shame and blame enter into the world. They cover themselves and then Adam's like, she did it. Girl is crazy. Went after that apple, okay? And handed it to me. How dare she, right? And so that story, and then it starts fracturing relationship all over the place. It fractures relationship with God. It fractures relationship with family. That's how the narrative of humanity continues on. So much till you get to the place of Noah, where all of creation, all of humanity is revolting against God, and only one person is found quasi good enough to say, okay, you and your family get to hang out. And the rest of earth, because it's so bad, is going to be destroyed by a flood. That is going to be a difficult one to unpack, how a loving God allows his creation to be crushed. It's a hard one. I won't deny that it's not, but that's 
what we believe happened. And that's what we, by faith, we believe that. And we can see that. Even scientifically, we can go back and, and see those different things. And so we have this Noah and this plan. And a new generation of humans are created. And those people end up becoming the Israelites. And God looks to the Israelites and he says, I want to be your God and you will be my people. You'll be a light unto the nations. You'll be a light unto the nations. I want to show the world that I'm a relational God. The same things that happened in the Garden of Eden, yes, while fractured by sin now, I want to have relationship with the people and I want those people to be a light unto the nations. And so Israel, when they accept this, find peace and they find hope and joy and all the things that flow from heaven. But like what happened in the Garden of Eden, they are easily distracted. Easily distracted. And so Israel goes through these seasons of both blessing and cursing. And they find themselves in captivity to where they look to God and they say, where are you? Where have you gone? We thought we were your people. And God is going, I'm just releasing you to the sin and the chaos that you yourselves have created. And so the prophets come along and the prophet's place in this whole thing is to point them back to God. Point them back to their heavenly father. Point them back to who they're supposed to be. So, so the prophets are going, listen, you've, you've left God. What did you expect was going to happen? He told you this was going to happen. You pursued after these other gods, these less satisfying things. What did you think was going to happen? But they're also pointing them to the answer. And the answer is the Messiah. So they say, listen, you're in captivity as a result of your sin. Man is depraved, and we're in captivity, but they're also pointing them to the Messiah, the one who's going to come and redeem humanity for the glory of God, and the kingdom come and the will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So then we go through this period of time through the Old Testament and the New Testament called the intertestamental period. Israel continues to go in captivity, first with the Persians and then with the Romans. And in the Roman captivity, they kind of allowed them to live out their religiosity, but yet it was under Roman rule. But for 400 years, no prophet had spoken. God hasn't spoken. God goes silent. And the people go, maybe he's abandoned us. Maybe he's left us. But they continue in the traditions that have been established over the last 1,500 years. Then the silence is broken by an angel. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace and goodwill towards men. For born today in the city of David is a, is a what? Is a savior. Emmanuel. God with us. God creates human life. In his image. And, he, come, and he, he brings us into this world. God himself comes to this world. To meet us. To show us this relational God through the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus lives out a narrative of love, compassion, care. He shows them who this God is. The relationship that he desired with Israel and he desired with Adam. He comes into the person of Jesus Christ and he shows the world who he is. Who God is. And he is everything that we could want and even more. And so we come to this point in the passage where this Jesus displaying the love of God dies for humanity dies for disciples who abandon him and run away, dies for a humanity that rejects him. Not just in the past, not just in the present, but in the future, he wears the weight of all of our sins because he loves us, and he dies. He dies. And here, this group of men, these two people, are walking on the road. Eumaeus, after having experienced that, this is Easter Sunday. So this is what's going on. Verse uh, 24, verse 13. That very day, Easter morning, two of them are going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. So here they are on this road. They're walking. They're incredibly discouraged. You know, they had followed Jesus around. They had left their hometown to see this potential Messiah candidate. 
And I'm sure he was extraordinary to them all along the way because he didn't really fit the mold, but there was something about him. And so they, they followed him. But here we find them on the other side of that where they've seen him die and be put into a grave. And they've mourned. Jesus had not become who they thought he was. And they were disappointed, disillusioned. I know what this feels like. I don't know if you do, but I do. But three and a half years ago, I sit at the bed of my son, and he's diagnosed with leukemia. Doctors come in, it says it's bad. I know those feelings. I resonate with this. Oh, wait a second. I, I've done the right stuff. Like, I've been a pastor for 15 years. I did every Christian thing you could possibly do. Like, I've tried to serve you. I've gone across the world to do missions. I'm on a, on a board to care for the least of these. I started a ministry, you know, to reach people disconnected from Christ. And then you do this? How dare you touch something I love? You ever been there? You ever been in this place where Jesus didn't, just didn't work out the way you thought it was going to work out? You had this idea of what you wanted it to be and how life was going to be, and then all of a sudden tragedy came in the middle of that, and you were like, what? And you didn't know what to do, and you started asking all these questions. Is, is God love? Does he care? Does he have a plan? Because I understand theology. Not all of it, but I understand it. And I understand one thing about the sovereignty of God, that God is in control. I believe it with all my heart. And even in that moment, I believe that God was in control. And for some reason, that didn't bring me comfort. It just made me mad. Because I thought, how could you do this? I was discouraged. I was angry. I was frustrated. You ever been there? And it's like you're walking on this road. You're joining these guys on this road. And you're walking on this road. And you're like, what the heck? I never saw that one coming. And you're heartbroken. And you're confused. And you're trying to figure out what do I do next? What do I do now? This is, the, this is a cool part of the story. So here they are. They're just disappointed and overwhelmed. Frustrated. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them and, oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. How cool is that? In the middle of their, like, he's not real. This is fake. Everything we've done for the last three years is, is off and it's not right. And, and here Jesus draws near. To them in the middle of their despair, in the middle of their doubt. But isn't that what he does? But isn't that what he does? Remember the father who wants his son to be healed? And he goes to Jesus and he goes, I, I, I believe, but help me with my disbelief. And Jesus goes, I know. And he heals his son. Isn't that what he does? Does he press in in those moments where we don't know what to do? That's what I love about our God, is that he draws near when we doubt. He doesn't get pushed away. He draws near and he comforts and he loves. And so Jesus, the risen Messiah, meets them on the road in the middle of them going, this whole thing's a sham. This whole thing didn't work out the way I wanted it to work out. But it says in verse uh, 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know any of these things that has happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? Love that. Uh, something happened in Jerusalem? Are you serious? I, 
think that's like a funny like haha in the scriptures, like duh, you know? Oh, really? Something happened to a guy named Jesus of Nazareth? Yeah. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, a mighty indeed. Now start listening to the vernacular in which they use this, okay? Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and were before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and our, and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. So obviously, you know. And moreover, some of the women in our company amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and they did, and they, and they did not find a body. And they, they came back saying that, that they had even seen a vision, a vision. They saw a vision of an angel. You know, the vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the woman had said. But, but they did not see him. And, and he said to them, and he said to them in this moment, oh, foolish ones. So here, here are these guys, and, and they're unpacking for Jesus this story about what has happened. Okay, like, oh, man. But they, they don't see the risen Messiah. And there's lots of theological kind of debate around that moment. Either God closed their eyes, or they just legitimately were, did not even see him. Either way, they didn't see him. They're on the road. Jesus meets them in their despair, is walking and talking with him about the very things that he has just endured and they, they don't see him. I, about four years ago, I was in a restaurant with a, with a buddy of mine who's a pastor. He and I uh, uh, did we pastor together and, and at a church. And, and this guy comes up and he goes like, uh, he's like, Pastor Aaron. That was my buddy. Pastor Aaron, oh my gosh, it's so great to see you. He's like, my wife's in the other room. Could, could, could you come over and say hello to her? Which I thought was weird, but okay. And so, you know. Aaron's like, yeah, sure. And I was like, whoa, wait a second, bro. What about this guy, okay? Because I used to preach on main stage, but whatever, okay? You know, and so he goes and he takes, you know, Aaron and, and he's introducing, he comes back and, and he, you know, says, he's like, oh, thanks, you know, it was great to see you, blah, blah, blah. And he looks at me and goes, what? What? You Pastor Jeff? And I was like, yeah, it's me, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And he goes, you Pastor Jeff? And I go, yeah. And he goes, man, I didn't even recognize you. I was like, oh, yeah. I said, I got a haircut. He goes, no, you got fat. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? You and your wife got fat. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say it. In my mind, I said that. I instantly repented right after that. But, you know, I'll, he was like, yeah, you got really fat. That's why I didn't recognize you. And I was like, oh, cool, weird guy. What are you doing to me right now, <laughs> you know? This is a little bit like kind of what's going on here. Like they just don't see that it's Jesus. They followed after him. They've been there for his sermons. They've seen him heal people and do miraculous things. And here he is, the risen Messiah, walking on the road with them. And they're like, dude, there's just some really bad stuff that went down in Jerusalem. It's crazy what's going down. What is our world coming to? And Jesus just kind of walks with them. We have to get so wrapped up into our own lives, our own problems, our own situations that we don't realize that Jesus is in our midst. He's with us. The Holy Spirit is closer to us than our own heartbeat. And we miss it because we're too busy Focused in on what should have happened, or how it should have happened, or how it should have played out. And we're discouraged, and so we miss Jesus in the presence of our pain and our suffering and our disillusionment. Because the truth is, we want the problem fixed, we don't want Jesus. And Jesus is like, I'm here, and I'm meeting you in your pain. But you just completely miss me. Is that you? You find yourself wrestling through that? He's like, I love you. I'm here. That's why I died. So that we could have this together. But are you missing him? 
So then Jesus draws out the conversation, and, 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 and they, he starts saying, well, like, what things happened in Jerusalem? And so they start unpacking this whole thing for him, and they, they start referring to Jesus in the past tense. Like, oh, we thought he was a prophet. We thought he was going to be the Messiah, but, yeah, it didn't, it didn't work out. You see, they had always looked at Jesus as a teacher, as a good man. They never truly came to accept him as the Messiah. They had a version of Jesus they liked and they wanted. They had a version of what they wanted this Messiah to look like. See, Jesus had always been teacher to them and maybe prophet, but never Messiah. Maybe that is for you. Maybe you've just accepted this Jesus as like a good guy that I get some teaching from, but not not someone you submitted your life to. Sacrificially. To where you truly say, I want you and only you. Maybe he's just a prophet. Maybe he's just a good guy. A good historical figure that stands for truth and love and, and fights up against injustice. But is Jesus Messiah to you? Have you recognized him as Messiah in your life? If not, I, I fear you're missing him. You see, for these men... They had this version of Jesus they wanted. And and they had been taught this as kids, who this Messiah was. And and if you don't understand a Jewish mindset, it makes it really difficult to understand these passages. Because in in, in Jewish culture, the Messiah was going to come and destroy the Romans. Like, rip them apart. And the people of God were going to be restored. And Jerusalem was going to come back to be this vibrant place, like where the Ark of the Covenant would come back in. The Holy Spirit was there, and he rested them, the very presence of God with them. But these heathen Romans were, were in the place of that. And so they had a conqueror in their mind. They had this idea of, of, of slaying and destroying the Romans and the Persians or anyone that would come up against them. And here, their Messiah is born of barn. Their Messiah dies on a cross under Roman rule? No, thank you. That's not the Messiah I was in for. They were looking for this mystical one. Now, I got to spend a lot of time with singles, okay? And I love singles. I think singles honestly can show us a picture of a relationship with Christ that, that many times as married people is really difficult. Because married people, if Jesus and I aren't good or I don't feel Jesus, I just turn to my wife and go, hey, fill me up. As a single, you say, I just need Jesus. See that? But I meet with these singles, and in that struggle of singleness, they start talking about the one. This mystical one that exists out in the world. Right? I'm just, it's just the one. I'm just waiting for the one. I'm just praying for the one that God's going to give to me. Right? It's like this one day you're like sitting in a room and you're with your guy friends and, and this woman walks in and you're like, it's the one, dude. She's here in the room. Of course she's smoking hot. Of course she's athletic. Of course she can like get into some sweats and watch the game with me and then get all dolled up when we got to go for dinner. She's the one. Like and the girls are like, yes, I found the one. He like, he like is like strong and tough. But yeah, he'll cuddle next to me on the couch. Like he'll like watch the notebook with me in just a single tear. And then he'll watch the, the football game with him. He's both tough and compassionate. Of course, he's ripped and he's delicious, okay? He's the one. And all of a sudden you find out the dude's a total scumbag. And the girl's a diva. And you're like, what happened to the one? God had told me. She or he was the one. No, no, that's not true. You decided that. You created a picture of what you wanted that perfect woman to look like or that perfect man to look like, and you just went after that. This is what's happening here. They're looking for this mystical one that they've created this narrative in their head, which in reality doesn't tie back with what the prophets say about this Messiah. They've just changed it. They changed the scripture over years and years and years to make the Messiah the way they wanted to make him. And Jesus wasn't cutting it. Born in a barn? Lives like a vagabond? Doesn't have a place to rest his head? Dies under Roman rule? Nope, not the guy. 
And so they start talking this out with Jesus. We had hoped and we thought, but mm, it didn't really work out the way we had thought. When Jesus isn't what we expected, but we desperately want. Isn't that true? Don't we desperately want a version of Jesus? And sometimes we're just so disappointed when it doesn't work out the way we want it to work out. It doesn't look the way we want it to look. Think about this biblically. Like think about John the Baptist. He's in prison. His whole life's mission and job is to usher in the Messiah. From the day he was in the womb and he leaps at Mary coming to the door. In the presence of Jesus, being in the womb, he leaps. He spends his life talking about this Messiah, the one who will come. And he's in prison, about to get his head cut off. And what does he do? He sends out one of his servants to come to Jesus and say what? Are you sure you're the guy? (laughs) Because I'm going to die. And I just want some security here that you are the Messiah. Because I had this going a whole different way. Think about that. Think about how often we do that. When times get tough, how quick it is for us to all of a sudden start presuming on God. About manufacturing this idea, this Western view of who we believe God to be and who we believe his plan to be. That's why we're missing him. That's why you're not satisfied. Why we're not satisfied. Because Jesus isn't living up to what we had really wanted him to be. And it's discouraging at times. So this is what i like you to do. You have a piece of paper? I think everyone got a piece of paper, right? Piece of paper? Okay, I want you to write two things on there, okay? Two things. One, I want you to write just really quick a time when you felt that way, just really discouraged, where you really had thought that God was this way, and, and, and it was kind of disappointing. So you could say something like this, really short, like something like, lost my mom, or, or grandma got sick, or parents got divorced, or whatever that is. When was a moment in your life that you just felt like, what the heck is going on? And God wasn't really working out. So write that down. Write that down real quick. And the second thing I want you to write down, as you're thinking through that, I want you to think about, I want you to write down this. When was a time when you felt the presence of God so, so overwhelming? What did you feel? What did you feel in that moment? Write that down. What were the feelings you felt when you saw the Messiah, when you saw this Jesus who loves you, just write that down. I'll give you like a minute. Okay, 30 seconds. Okay, this is what I want you to do. I know, quickest 30 seconds ever. We gotta get going here. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take that piece of paper, I want you to wad it up, okay? Wad it up, just wad it up. Wad it up like a snowball, okay? Yep, do that. Okay. Now what I'd like you to do is stand up, please. If you please stand up. Wad, wad that thing up, please stand up. Just wad that thing up, please stand up, yep. Okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to chuck it across the room. Okay, on the count of three, okay? It's like a good old-fashioned snowball fight, okay? That's what I want you to do. I just want you to throw that thing across the room. Okay, one, two, three, throw it, throw it, throw it. There you go, there you go, okay. Good job. Okay, now find one of those snowballs and open it up, okay? Try to find a snowball. Here's one right here if you didn't know. Just walk around, try to find a snowball. Grab one. Get into groups of like, get into groups of like three or four, okay? Or five or six. And just start to read, read some of those things off to each other real quick, okay? So go ahead. Grab a snowball. Get with somebody who has a snowball and read some of those off. You can stand up. You can sit. Whatever you want to do. Just read those real quick. I know in church it's weird to talk to people.
I'll give you like 30 more seconds. Just read it off real quick. Okay, what were, what were some of the disappointing things? Just read a couple of them out. You can sit down, but what, what were a couple of the disappointing things? Just, just yell it out. Yes. Lost a, job. Lost a job. Yeah, what else? What? Divorce. What else? What else? Say again. House sit and sell. I know that one, brother. I have a house in Maricopa. Yeah, whoever that was, <laughs> I have a house in Maricopa. It's still there. Yeah, somebody's renting it. God bless them. Yeah. I know that feeling, right? Nothing like buying up the top of the boom. What were, what were some of the feelings that people had when Jesus met you? What? What were, what, did, what were some of the feelings that people wrote down when Jesus met you? Joy. Peace. Comfort. This is the narrative of the human life. is both tragedy and the character of God. Because when he meets you, and here's the thing, is what we've done is we've compartmentalized these two things. And what we said is, these two things cannot exist together. And so the Western narrative is that. The Western narrative is we have to separate these two things. And within the person of Jesus Christ, the cross becomes a place where death happened. But also joy and triumph and victory the cross brings together these two things that are on two separate spectrums. But we tend to reject God because we don't feel all of this in the middle of this. And this is why they don't see him. This is why they're walking on the road back home disappointed that this Messiah, this Jesus who they followed, didn't work out to be, or didn't work to be the man they wanted him to be didn't work out to be the Messiah they had wanted. So now we find ourselves in, in verse 25 where Jesus starts to turn a corner in the conversation. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow to heart to believe what the prophets have spoken. He says, you fools. In the Greek it denotes weakness, dullness. It's that, O ye of little faith. You fools, I'm standing in your midst. He continues on and, and he says uh, in, in verse 26, Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophet, he interrupted, or, or interpreted to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. Jesus says, you fools, because I haven't become who you want me to be, you've missed it. That's foolishness. And so in Jesus' great love and character, he starts teaching them the scriptures. He starts interpreting their narrative, the thing they've come to know their whole life. He says, let me reteach the scriptures to you. And I think it would have gone something like this. He would have said, I am the seed of the woman in Genesis. I am the Passover lamb of Exodus. I am the anointed high priest of Leviticus. I am the brazen serpent of Numbers. I am the great rock of Deuteronomy. I am the captain of the Lord's host of Josiah. I am the messenger of the Lord of Judges. I am the kinsman redeemer of Ruth. I am the great judge in 1 Samuel. I am the seed of David of 2 Samuel. I am the God of Israel of 1 Kings. I am the God of the cherubim of 2 Kings. I am the God of our salvation in 1 Chronicles. I am the God of our fathers in 2 Chronicles. I am the Lord of the heavens and the earth of Ezra. I am the covenant-keeping God of Nehemiah. I am the God of providence of Esther. I am the returning redeemer of Job. I am the good shepherd of Psalms. I am the wisdom of God in Proverbs. I am the one above the son of Ecclesiastes. I am the altogether lovely of Song of Solomon. I am the virgin-born Emmanuel of Isaiah. I am the branch of righteousness of Jeremiah. I am the compassionate one of lamentation. I am the Lord is there of Ezekiel. I am the stone cut without hands of Daniel. I am the king of the resurrection in Hosea and rescue. I am the God of the battle of Joel. I am the plumb line of Amos. I am the destroyer of the proud of Obadiah. I am the risen prophet of Jonah. I am the Bethlehem born of Micah. I am the bringer of good tidings of Nahum. 
I am the anointed of Habakkuk. I am the king of Israel of Zephaniah. I am the desire of all nations of Haggai. I am the branch of Zechariah. And I am the son of righteousness of Malachi. He says the whole scripture is all about me. It's always been about me. It's always been about the Messiah coming because he loves you and dying for you. He cares for you. All of the scriptures from Genesis to the end of the days is all about Jesus. And as he walks on this road, he's trying to help them understand everything you wanted to be, wanted me to be. I am that and more. All these prophecies and all these things, these stories, these narratives that you've heard all their lives culminate in the person of Jesus Christ. Will you accept me for who I am? Or you continue to ignore the truth that stands before you? The same question goes to us 2,000 years later. Will you continue to make Jesus something he's not? Or will you accept him for who he is? He is God. And he loves you. He died for you. He grieves when you're in pain. He goes on your behalf when you don't know how to pray. And he is creating a place for us to worship him for all of eternity that will be void of the pain and despair in this world. But until that time that we would live the life that Jesus lived, that we would show that we are the people of God, that we are the light to the nations. By the way we do this relationship with Jesus, by the way we recognize and live out this relationship with our Messiah, that even in the middle of pain and suffering and despair and disappointment, that we, the people of God, would stay focused on who he is and not forget that and live out of that. They still don't see him. So they go along the road, and they say, no, 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 come, come and stay with us. We'd, lo- we'd love for you to come and stay with us. You know, Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going like, you will believe in me. He's not doing that. You idiots, what's wrong with you? I am the Messiah. He doesn't do that because he's a gentleman, because he's relational. I don't know many guys that walked up to a girl and say, you're the one. We're getting married right now, right? Like, whoa, guy, back off, right? Jesus is a gentleman. And he waits to be invited. And they invite him in. And he came and and he takes the position, the interesting part of the narrative, he takes the position of the master in the house, even though he's the guest. He blesses the meal. He breaks the bed and disappears. Isn't that interesting? And then they say, didn't our hearts burn when we walked with him? The very thing, the very core of everything they knew came alive. And yet they still doubted. And then they saw him. And what is the response once you see Jesus? You run and you go tell, I've met the risen Messiah. Think about this. Isn't that what the woman at the well did? When this Jesus, this God of ours meets the exile of the community? He meets her, and she says, let me tell you about a man who told me everything about me. He loves her, and she runs in and and tells her town about this Jesus. Isn't that what happens with a woman who gets caught in adultery, and Jesus says, go, be different. Your sins are forgiven. And shouldn't that be our story? Shouldn't our story be that we know the story of the risen Messiah? And we have recognized it, and for so many of you, you've accepted it. But are you living it out? Are you, are you telling the story of what Jesus has done for you and how he loves you? Are you still caught in this despair and this disappointment because he's not working out the way you wanted him to work out? You know, God met me in my despair. Three days after Coop was diagnosed, our son was diagnosed, we were, he had gone and he had to get a port, which is under the skin. It was a tube that runs up through your neck and, 
and shoots the chemo into your heart so it distributes the chemo fast. And they had had a huge bag of chemotherapy sitting on a pole. It was, I think one of the hardest moments for us is when a nurse walked in who was pregnant and she, she said, I'm sorry, I have to go. And we're like, why? Well, because if I touch this, it might kill my baby. And here they were pumping it into my son's body. So I'm watching all this. My wife and I are just destroyed. And I sit next to my son on the bed. And he says, Dad? And I say, yeah. And he said, uh, I think God's allowed me to have leukemia to show the world that he's a healer. And God met me through my little boy who was suffering. That's why Jesus says, let the children come. The simplicity of faith is that he believed even though he was in pain, even though it was scary. I had made it something more. He knew Jesus loved him. And yeah, it sucks. But he believed that Jesus was gonna prove himself to be faithful in life, in death, in healing. He knew Jesus was gonna win. And he knew Jesus already did win. And I pray that you would learn that lesson from this passage. When things don't work out the way you want them to work out, that doesn't make God any less God. That just means you've changed. Your circumstances changed. And what it means is it's time for you to mature and grow. It's time, it's time for you to accept what's going on and live in light of it. This is how we become salt and light. This is how we become the people of God. This is how we display the glory of God. Christ in us, the hope of of glory. And Paul in Philippians 3, he unpacks this idea of I just want Jesus. I just want Jesus. And he says, I want him in his life. I want him in his death. I want him in his resurrection. I want all of it. In fact, in the Greek, the word to know means it's a sexual term. It means I want to know, know him. I want to meet, I want to know every aspect of him because that's how people will come to know this Jesus. Through the way his people live and demonstrate every single part of Jesus' narrative. Because it's our narrative, our story, and our life to live out that he's given to us as a gift. So let's start being the people of God. Let's start living out the things that we say we are. That. It's the kingdom of God on earth. And that's what we're going to do in heaven. So let's just get started. You guys want to get started? Let's just get started with that now. Let's just do that now. Let's start living out the way that we're going to be living in heaven right now. So that other people can come to see him. Because he is a good God. And he's loving and kind and merciful and joyful. The things you have experienced. So let's do that now instead of continuing down this road of disappointment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you that we have the privilege of, thank you that we have the privilege of reading about your life and, and, and the responsibility now to live it out. Your word says that, that those who have much have much responsibility. To whom much is given, much is required. And we know the truth. We've seen the truth. We've sensed it in our hearts and in our minds. We've seen you display your greatness all over the world, even in the midst of pain and depravity. And that we would live that truth out for your glory, for your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you.